0: Welcome to Kevin Connor's podcast. This series is on the parables of Jesus. A terrific companion to this teaching is Kevin's best-selling book Mystery Parables of the Kingdom, available in paperback, hardcover, and ebook formats from Amazon in your area, or as an immediate PDF download from the shop at kevinconnor.org. All right, Matthew chapter 25. And we're going to read verse uh, 20, uh, verse uh, verse 1 through to 13. Matthew 25 and verses 1 through 13. Then shall the kingdom of heaven be likened unto ten virgins, which took their lamps and went forth to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were wise and five were foolish. They that were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them But the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps While the bridegroom tarried they all slumbered and slept And at midnight there was a cry made Behold the bridegroom cometh go you out to meet him Then all those virgins arose and trimmed their lamps And the foolish said unto the wise Give us of your oil for our lamps are gone out the marginal reference and other translations uh, say our lamps are going out not that they've gone out but they're going out but the wise answered saying not so lest there be not enough for us and you but go you rather to them that sell and buy for yourselves and while they went to buy the bridegroom came and they that were ready went in with him to the marriage and the door was shut Afterward came also the other virgin, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered and said, Verily I say unto you, I know you not. Watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour wherein the Son of Man cometh. Now I want you to turn back to a proverb, and I believe this proverb sort of is the key to this parable, and then I want you to come back to Matthew chapter 24 for a lead into this. So let's turn to Proverbs chapter 27 and probably a proverb that uh, maybe a lot of us have read and sort of skipped over and not realised that the New Testament sort of gives a parable to illustrate the proverb so Proverbs chapter 27 and verse 20 Proverbs 20 uh, I'm sorry what did I say As Proverbs 21 Proverbs 21 sorry Proverbs 21 verse 20 Now listen to what it says here, Proverbs 21 verse 20, there is is treasure to be desired and oil in the dwelling of the wise. Note the words there, oil in the dwelling of the wise. But a foolish man spendeth it up. So we have wise and foolish, treasure and oil. And so I think when we come to this parable in Matthew chapter 25 of the parable of the wise and foolish virgins it illustrates uh, the parable sort of illustrates the proverb that's what I'm saying now let's go back to Matthew chapter 24 Matthew chapter 24 now this, uh, tonight and then for our last week uh, next, next week we have uh, our last two parables that we're looking at here from the Gospel of Matthew. And the first parable here, verses 1 through to 13, deals with wise and foolish virgins. Everybody agree with that? Wise and foolish virgins. Everybody agree with that? Okay, then when you get to the last parable, verses 14 through to 30, 14 through to 30, what does that parable deal with? because it ends up in verse like 21 and 23 where it says well done thou good and faithful servant and well done thou good and faithful servant now connect it with verse 45 of chapter 44 okay we'll read verse 44 just be patient with me as I sort of lay out uh, our context here so in verse 44 therefore be you also ready for in such an hour as ye think not the son of man cometh who then is a what Faithful, everybody say the word faithful Amen. Who then is a faithful and Wise So faithful and wise Faithful and wise Faithful and wise servant So here's the first things we pick up here That in verse 45 He's talking about faithful So let's pick it, uh, put it here So verse 45 Talking about a faithful And then uh, wise Servant So faithful and wise Now When you get to chapter 25, chapter 25, verses 1 through to 13, the wise and foolish uh, virgins, and then verses 14 through to 30 deal with the faithful and the slothful servants. So these two parables really are an illustration of what Jesus is talking about being wise and faithful, faithful and wise. So the wise. And foolish virgins opposite to wise is foolish opposite to faithful is slothful so it's, it, it, the following chapters remember there's no chapter divisions when Matthew wrote it so the following chapter the last two parables that Jesus gives before his crucifixion are really illustrations of these, uh, these two words that's the picture that we have here everybody see that everybody see that Okay, only half of you answered first time, everybody saw that, thank you. All right, now, let's just sort of look at the uh, words we've got here and there's no way we're going to exhaust this parable. It will exhaust us, but no way we'll exhaust it. Now, those of you who have been following uh, through with me over the last uh, almost two two, uh, terms here on the parables, I think you know by now that we're not just making something out of nothing. And uh, in this parable, as in the next pretty well, Jesus doesn't interpret the parts of the parable. But as I've said before, in contrast to a lot of the uh, expositors who are so fearful of getting into allegorization and uh, making the scripture say anything you want it to say, they are very hesitant about interpreting the parts of the parable. But we've seen, particularly in Matthew 13, that when Jesus gave the parable of the wheat and the tares, the parable of the sower, how he sort of took an extended analogy and looked at all the parts pretty well of the parable and then gave an interpretation of the parts of the parable, so working from uh, part to whole and whole to part. Now, uh, he's given enough interpreted parables for us to help us in interpreting uninterpreted parables. How many understand that? Okay, so that's why I believe we are on safe ground though a lot may be fearful of this. All right, now let's just sort of look at uh, the parts here and I'm only going to be able to touch on some of the parts here. Okay, we'll focus this. And how many know I'm a fanatic by now? You can put up your hands. How many know that I believe the Bible and that the words aren't there to fill up the book? All right, so this is just right out your Bible but I want you to hear it, okay? So the kingdom of heaven is like, all right, it resembles, it corresponds to Ten virgins. Okay, why ten? Why virgins? And they took their lamps. Okay, took their lamps, and they went forth to meet the bridegroom. So have something to do with the second coming here. Five of them were wise and five were foolish. So we have fifty-fifty here, half and half. Or half and half. This is whether you're American or Australian. Okay. Now the foolish took their lamps had no oil with them but the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps and then the bridegroom tarried he didn't come when they expected him to he didn't come in the secret rapture as they were being taught by Scofield who's dead and knows better now um, and because the, the Lord didn't come on the time that the prophetic teachers had taught them uh, they all and this, is all, this one always bothers me. They all slumbered and slept, even the wise. And at midnight, there was a great cry. And the great cry went out, The bridegroom cometh, go you out to meet him. So now all the virgins responded to the midnight cry, and they all arose and trimmed their lamps. But truly said, Our lamps are going out, not gone out, as King James on the surface translates it there, The foolish asked of the wise, give us of your oil. And the wise said, no, not so, lest there be not enough for ourselves. And the wise said, go and buy oil from those who sell. Go and pay your own price. price of oil has gone up. Naturally and spiritually. So while the foolish went to buy, the bridegroom came. And the wise and those that were ready, or literally the ready ones, went into the marriage. The door was shut. Now do you think that this is going to happen in heaven? That the foolish are going to gradually get on the door of heaven and say Lord you've locked the door of heaven on us. Can we get into heaven now? The door was shut. Afterwards the foolish came and said Lord open to us he answered, Verily I know you not. And the whole lesson of the parable, the major lesson of the parable is found in verse 13. Watch for you know not the day nor the hour he comes. Now, listen carefully to me and I'm I'm not going to be able to exhaust this parable, I'm just going to touch on the briefest spots of it tonight because we need a couple of weeks or at least to do it properly. So I'm just going to give you some seed thoughts. Now, as I've mentioned before, there's no parable, uh, no chapter divisions, pardon me, no chapter divisions in the Gospel here. And so when you go back to Matthew chapter 24, we find Jesus is on the Mount of Olives and go, just glance over verse 3 and as he's on the, seated on the Mount of Olives the disciples ask him a threefold question number one they came to him privately saying number one tell us when shall these things be what things okay he's talking about the overthrow of the temple and not one stone being left unturned upon another tell us when shall these things be number two and what shall be the sign of your coming and he doesn't give the sign of his coming until you get to verse 30 and then shall appear the sign of the son of man in heaven and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn and they'll see the son of man coming so number two what will be the sign of thy coming and number three and of the end of the world or literally the end of the age the word world aion is literally the end of the age so they've asked him three questions when shall these things be? The destruction of the temple. What shall be the sign of thy coming? Number two and number three and of the end of the age. And you'll notice in verse 14 he gives the answer that this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for witness unto all nations and then and they are saying not until then shall the end come. So throughout the chapter so he goes through all the events that's going to happen not only in AD 70 a measure of partial fulfilment but right through to his second coming. Then he goes down, Say, let's go down to verse 36, uh, but of that day and hour knoweth no man, no, not the angels uh, of heaven, but my Father. And as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be in the days of the coming of the Son of Man. Two will be taken, two will be in the fear, one will be taken, two women grinding together at the mill, one taken, the other left. And then he goes, verse 42, watch, watch, okay, watch ye therefore, and when you get to verse 13 at the end of this first parable watch therefore you know not what, uh, what neither the day nor the hour wherein the Son of Man cometh. So here it's all in the context watch, watch, watch. But know this if the good man of the house had known in what watched the thief would come he would have watched. Therefore be ye also ready. And then when we come to the parable of the wise and foolish, the ready ones those that were ready went in with him to the marriage. And then he says in verse 45 who then is a faithful and wise servant so I'm going to give you a parable on, on faithfulness and slothfulness and I'll give you a parable on wise and foolish virgins. So everything has to do, you know, be done in the context. Alright, now we come to chapter 25 in the light of that. So all of this chapters, chapter 24 and chapter 25 have to do with his second coming. So it brings us way down to the generation that you and I are living in. How many believe we are living the days of the coming of the Lord and every day brings His coming uh, closer to us? Alright, now verse uh, 1 of chapter 25 says, Then, I want you to know that, then, when? In the days of the coming of the Lord. So the last days, because see verse 48 of chapter, uh, chapter 24, but if but and if that evil servant was saying in his heart my lord delayeth his coming while the bridegroom tarried so he just sort of didn't come when they expected him to Okay, so then when in the days of the second coming and I believe this is actually the key to the whole parable for a start then shall the kingdom of heaven be like unto ten virgins alright so we have the time now in this chapter where we have two parables I want you to pick up this thought here. Parable 1 on the wise and foolish virgins have to do with the absent bridegroom. The absent bridegroom. And then parable 2, verses 14 to 30, has to do with the absent Lord. So one is the absent bridegroom and one is the absent Lord. One has to do with oil and one has to do with talents. One has to do with us having enough oil. The other one has to do with us using our talents. That's his last parable before he's crucified. I think that's very significant there. All right, so the key is then. All right, now, let's try and pick out at least some of the high spots here. Ten virgins, ten in the Bible, and we're just going to be very brief on some of these things. Ten in the Bible is the number of law and order. Not eleven virgins, not nine, but ten. 10 is the number of law and order and also put this down because this is part of the understanding of the parable 10 is the number of responsibility how many fingers have I, I got 5 on each hand I got 10 how many know that your body is stamped with the number 10 how many toes have you if that's if you got them all there ok alright 10 and we have got 2 lots of 5 5 here and 5 there and I got 5 on each feet how many of you knew there was a guy in the Bible that had 24 uh, fingers and toes? He had six on each hand and six on each foot. Six, 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 six. Four sixes. He was a brother of Goliath. It would be handy to have another finger, wouldn't it? Okay, another toe. That's in Samuel. Some of you are looking me funny there. Alright so 10 is the number of law and order but here it's the number of responsibility so we have 10 virgins. Alright now a virgin is symbolic of who? Let me give you a couple of scriptures on this and I'll just have to keep my eye on that clock. Go over to 1 Corinthians chapter 11, 1 Corinthians chapter 11. A uh, uh, correction 2nd Corinthians chapter 11 2nd Corinthians chapter 11 alright 2nd uh, Corinthians chapter 11 listen to what Paul is doing he's writing to the Corinthian church and may I make a statement here because so many of us have had things to unlearn uh, many people who interpret this parable say well The five foolish virgins were non-Christians. They were professors, they were not possessors, they were not Christians. Okay, we refute that because all of the virgins, wise and foolish, had lamps. All of the virgins, wise and foolish, were looking for the coming of the Lord. All of them slumbered and slept. All of them woke up at the midnight hour. All of them went out to meet the bridegroom. So, are sinners doing that? Listen to what Paul says to the Corinthian church, 2 Corinthians 11, 1 3. Would to God you could bear with me a little in my folly, and indeed bear with me. For I am jealous over you with godly jealousy, for I have espoused you to one husband, that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. But I fear lest by any means, as the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety, so your minds should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. Listen to some of the significance here. So Paul's writing to the Corinthian believers and he says, I'd like to present you, Corinthian church, you believers, as a chaste virgin to Christ. So Christ is the bridegroom, Christ is the husband, the bridegroom to be, and here the Corinthian church, representing other churches too, is to be presented as a virgin church to Christ. And so Paul is saying, look, I'm I'm desirous, I'd like to present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. Now, he says, uh, I have espoused you. What's espousal mean? It has to do with betrothal, engagement. How many know that we as the church, and when I say we as the church, I'm not just saying way of a Christian fellowship, but the church is engaged to be married to Christ. How many believe that? And, and, and this may be a frightening thought, but don't let it frighten you. It'll only frighten you to Jesus. I believe that uh, the baptism of the Holy Spirit is the reception of the engagement ring to be married to Jesus Christ now, I haven't got time to prove that to you but just put it in your little seed box see, so the church is engaged, betrothed to be married to Christ, and one of the sad things is and I just have to restrain some things here because of time but you see if we are engaged to be married to Christ what does the Lord think and what would you think if uh, you know those of you uh, who are now married or going to be married and, and you found that your bride-to-be was flirting with every other Tom, Dick and Harry around the place. How would you feel about it? Well, how does the Lord, the bridegroom, feel about many Christians in the church who are flirting with the world? In fact, James is pretty strong on it. He says, know you not that you are, he says, you adulterers and adulteresses, know you not that friendship with the world is enmity against God and so when Christians backslide and mess around with the world they're flirting with other lovers and yet they're engaged to be married to Jesus Christ and I know it raises all questions like this and uh, I think the church as a whole needs some shake up on this because does the Bible really teach that every Christian is going to be in the bride of Christ regardless? I uh, being in India again uh, this year I picked up some more newspapers which I had many years ago and in the uh, newspapers there they had in the column Brides Wanted and uh, these bridegrooms they spelled out the qualifications for their bride not too fat, not too thin, must speak English must uh, have some education, must be a good cook and they spelled all these qualifications out the bride And if you do not qualify, please do not apply. How many know that Jesus has a newspaper here and he's put some qualifications down for his bride? Have you ever checked the qualifications of being in the bride of Christ? Or do we just have a mentality that's been foisted on the church? Oh, well, once you get saved, everybody's in the bride of Christ. Hallelujah. It doesn't matter if you live in grace or disgrace. In fact, uh, when I was younger, I talked to uh, a, a fellow minister who's dead and knows better now and uh, he said to me he said you know the Lord will come any moment and it doesn't matter what state a Christian is he's going to go up in the rapture I said you mean even if they're backslidden or they're living in sin or out in a theatre, a disco somewhere he said yeah he said I believe that even if they're in a disco or in a theatre there watching a bad movie uh, and the rapture comes on They'll just disappear right out. I said, you mean the Lord's just going to come, come and say, excuse me, when this movie is over, the rapture's on. <laughs> he said, yes. I said, well, I'm sorry. I have to disagree, agreeably. All right, so Paul is saying, I want to present you as a chaste virgin to Christ, and I've espoused you. But what is, what's his concern? And this is a concern, I believe, of every, all leadership should be. I fear lest by any means as the serpent beguiled Eve to his summary. So he goes way back to the first virgin, Eve. He goes back to the first woman, the first bride, who was espoused to one husband, Adam. And he says, I am frightened. I am fearful that how the, how the serpent beguiled Eve, that first virgin, that first bride, that first woman, who was espoused to the first man, Adam, the first bridegroom, I'm fearful that as she was deceived through her mind, because sin entered through the mind, that you as a virgin church will be deceived by Satan. Go over to Revelation chapter 14. Revelation 14. And verse 1, and I looked and saw a lamb stood on the Mount Zion, not Mount Sinai by the way, Mount Zion, and with him 144,000, having his father's name, and most uh, uh, other translations have the full thing which King James missed out on for some reason, having his father's name and his name, having his name and the father's name written in their foreheads baptizing in the name of the Father and of the Son. Very significant language here. And so in verse 3, they sang as it were a new song before the throne and before the four living creatures and the elders, and no man could learn that song but the 144,000 which were redeemed from the earth. These are they which were not defiled with women, for they are virgins. These are they which follow the Lamb whithersoever he goeth. These were redeemed, not only from the earth, but redeemed from among men, being the first fruits. unto God and to the Lamb and in their mouth was found no guile for they are without fault before the throne of God. And then of course we're all familiar with Ephesians chapter 5 verse 23 to 32 where Paul presents the great mystery of Christ and the church. All right, so briefly all I can say here is that uh, uh, a virgin is symbolic of a pure, clean Christian. Okay, one who is engaged to be married to the Lord Jesus Christ a pure, clean virgin, a pure and I'm not talking about uh, physical uh, now here not uh, you know, denigrating the marriage state but I'm talking about a believer who keeps himself pure for the Lord and is not defiled by the harlot churches of this world system a virgin is not referring to a sinner or a false professor or unbeliever it's referring to a believer okay that's all I can say on that part for the moment okay they, they took their lamps and I'd like to give you a couple of scriptures on this and I'll just have to try and condense somehow okay so they took their lamps put down uh, Proverbs 20 and verse 27 you needn't turn to it Proverbs 20 and 27 this word lamp is used in uh, several ways I'll give you the three ways but I'll give you what I believe is the uh, understanding here Proverbs 20 and verse 27 it says the spirit of man is the lamp of the lord okay the spirit of man is the lamp of the lord and then psalm 119 verses 105 verse 105 psalm 119 verse 105 it says thy word is a lamp unto my feet so the word of god is likened to a lamp how many know that a lamp to be light has to have oil so thy word is a lamp unto my feet but the word is not a lamp unto our feet unless there's light. The word is enlightened. So thy word is a lamp under my feet and a light, a la- a light unto my path. A lamp and a light. And then you can put down uh, Revelation chapter 3 and verse 1. Revelation 3 and verse 1 where it says, The seven lamps of fire burning before the throne. The seven lamps are the seven spirits of God. So let me sort of summarize that. The word lamp, and I've done the word through the total Bible on this, Uh, to help me understand this so lamp is used of the word of God thy word is a lamp under my feet lamp is used of the spirit of God the seven spirits of God seven lamps a fire burning before the throne and then it's also used of the spirit of man which is the lamp of the Lord now let me say this quickly when when God created man there was perfect fellowship between God and man God is spirit and there was fellowship between God is, is spirit and man's spirit unbroken fellowship here but the moment man sinned his spirit his lamp went into darkness and so when we are born again the holy spirit comes to light our lamp to light our spirit the spirit of man is the lamp of the lord but without the lighting of the lamp our spirit's in darkness so when new birth takes place where does it take place that which is born of the spirit is spirit that which is born of the Holy Spirit is the human spirit. The Spirit bears witness with our spirit. So I want to liken the lamps here, not to the Word, not to the Holy Spirit, but to our spirit. Okay, where we need divine oil. How You can say amen to that? It's received a new birth. Alright, so they took their lamps. Now, let me just throw this on quickly. In 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 Jesus using the lamps here, it's familiar language because right through the, the Bible you know like in the, in the tabernacle they're, they're familiar with this the seven lamps here we have ten virgins with their lamps and see if we can sort of understand some of biblical language here seven lamps of fire there had to be the golden ball and the seven pipes and the golden ball was the source of oil and that oil had to flow through the seven pipes into the seven lamps. And without the oil, no oil, no light. What is light the evidence of? Light is the evidence of burning oil. No oil, no light. You can have a lamp. And see, the the morning and evening, and here's the picture that we can weave in here safely. In fact, let, let's throw this one, and you don't have to take this down, but just a picture's worth a thousand words when uh, John is, uh, is writing to the churches in Revelation what does he see he sees Jesus Christ as the great high priest clothed in garments of glory and beauty and he's standing in the midst of the seven lampstands. and what's he doing he's tending the lamps Aaron as high priest back in the sanctuary there morning and evening had to trim the lamps trim the lamps See, at midnight, they all arose and trimmed their lamps. So morning and evening, the high priest would have to trim the lamps, take away the ashes, the burnt-out parts of our past experience that make us smoke, and you're not meant to smoke. A lamp is not meant to smoke, amen? You're meant to give light. So not holy smoke, okay? Unholy smoke, okay? All right, so he had to trim the lamps, take away the ashes and after he did that then he had to supply the divine oil morning and evening the oil had to be supplied to the lamps so it says the lamps were never to go out now Jesus is using language that they are familiar with oh the foolish! our lamps are going out we need oil we need oil we haven't got that divine supply of oil we received oil originally but our lamps are going out we need to get to the high priest to supply some oil give us oil they're not getting it. How many understand the picture? You see, so, so their minds are saturated with this type of picture, okay? So I want to liken the lamps to our spirit, all right? Moving on quickly, as the time does. So now they went forth to meet the bridegroom. Now we have no doubt who the bridegroom is, John chapter three and verse 29, Jesus is the bridegroom. We have no doubt about that period. Jesus is the bridegroom. He in this case is the absent bridegroom. And remember we're dealing with a marriage here. Remember last week we dealt with the previous parable where a certain king made a marriage for his son. Now here we have another parable that deals with a marriage. What, what, what is marriage really the symbol of? Why does he use the marriage symbol? What, what, what is, what's the real significance of marriage? The best definition of marriage are the words taken out of the mouth of Adam. Therefore shall a man leave his father and mother and shall be joined to his wife and they two shall be one flesh. Real marriage is two becoming one. So when we speak of the marriage of Christ and his church, what are we talking about? We're talking about that oneness and that union of Christ and his church in the full spiritual sense. That's what we're talking about. That's what marriage is, two becoming one that union of the two becoming one. Man leaving his father and mother and being joined to his wife. That's the picture we have of Christ. So Christ is the bridegroom, no no mistake about that. Um, So many scriptures on that. All right, uh, moving quickly here, five and six, five were wise, five were foolish. Why don't you put down in connection with this Matthew chapter 7 and verse 24, because there's a definite link up here, Matthew 7 verse 24. What was the first parable that Jesus really told or sort of closed the Sermon on the Mount with? He told the parable, if we can call it a parable, about the two builders and what were the two builders? There was a wise builder and a foolish builder. And what was the difference between the wise and the foolish builder? They both built houses, but what was the difference? foundation foundation now here we have wise and foolish virgins but the difference is not over foundation the difference now is over oil so once you sort of keep that in mind wise and foolish virgins at the beginning of Matthew uh, uh, builders in the beginning of Matthew has to do with the foundation whose house went up the quickest whose church who had the biggest church growth foolish wise lay the foundation so difference there was foundation here the difference between wise and foolish is oil. Okay, five, five, five. Don't like to press the part too far, but 50-50. All right, seven and eight. The foolish took their lamps and no oil with them. Now, has anybody picked up the basic difference between the wise and foolish version? What was the basic difference here? How many, how many pick it up? Because, see, as you put the parallel there, the wise and the foolish, they all had lamps. The wise and the foolish all went out to meet the bridegroom. The ro- wise and the foolish all heard the midnight cry. The wise and foolish, they all slumbered and slept. And as I've said, this parable bothers me because how many feel you're a wise virgin tonight spiritually? I'm not going to put up our hand. How many feel you're a foolish one then? <laughs> okay, the wise slept if it had have just said the foolish say well the foolish are asleep the wise are awake but this bothered me because I think well Lord I hope I'm a little bit wise but am I asleep? and how many know that there's a spirit of lethargy a spirit of sleep and sluggishness that's upon the church today and see we're dealing here and for those who've been around the last couple of terms we're dealing with the midnight hour See the parable of the vineyard was the 11th hour call not midnight but here is the midnight hour so um, I say Lord am I asleep? I count myself wise, am I asleep? How many you know that the church as a whole needs to be woken up? There's, There's definitely a spirit of sleep and sluggishness and laziness and lethargy upon a lot of God's people today Okay, so that's the picture. So they all. Oh, so have you discovered the difference? Okay, I'll come back to it before we finish. All right, the bridegroom tarry. Okay, the bridegroom tarry. Now, for years, people have been talking about the coming of the Lord, and you know they've been setting dates for the coming of the Lord. He's going to come in 1880. He's going to come in this year, and he's going to. And then you, those who followed the pyramid, they found there was another inch in the pyramid uh, that postponed his coming for another ten years. And uh, there's been so many date setters of the coming of the Lord and even today there's lots of people prophetic teachers running around the Lord's coming any moment Jews are going to take over and everything like that no, no I could give you 24 biblical reasons why Jesus won't come back tonight I'll see you on the weekend Okay. (laughs) Now I know people get upset with me because I used to get upset when I heard that statement years ago, many years ago and say, oh Kevin, you're putting off the coming of the Lord. A little pipsqueak me? No, and I have to disagree with some of the prophetic teachers who say, look, if the church will hurry up and get the job done, Jesus will be back any time. And he would have been back years ago if the church had have done its job. No, 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 no. How many know that God has a plan and that when Jesus came the first time he came right on time. Nobody could hasten his coming and nobody could postpone it. He came right on time the first time and he's going to come right on time the second time. No one's going to hasten his coming and say oh let's hasten back the coming of the King. No, 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 we won't. So we're not going to hasten his coming and we're not going to postpone it. And little pipsqueak Kevin John Connor well, you're putting off his coming me all Jesus would have to do is sneeze and I'd drop dead yeah? so I'm not putting off his coming we just need to get into the purpose of God and for many people the, the secret rapture has become an escape from reality and the secret rapture has become a fire escape from the church fulfilling its job and finalising our ministry and bringing in the harvest everybody said amen you still love me out there so much lighter here I can't see you for the glory ok <laughs> alright so the bridegroom tarried. in other words he didn't come on time when they thought he would alright now all the virgins because oh well if the Lord's not coming uh, and that's what the previous chapter says if the evil servant shall say in his heart, oh my Lord delayeth his coming he's not coming back as soon as I thought and he'll begin to smite the fellow servant and drink with the drunken the Lord will come in a day when he looks not for him and an hour is not aware of, and not take him into a millennial kingdom, but we'll cut him asunder, and put him, appoint him his portion with the hypocrites. That's talking about believers there. Okay. All right, so, they all slumbered and slept. Well, at midnight. At midnight. Why don't you go back to Exodus chapter 12, quickly. Exodus chapter 12, or Exodus chapter... Yes, yes, Exodus chapter 11 it is, Exodus chapter 11. And this is the first mention of midnight in the Bible and the first mention of a great cry. I want you to listen to its significance here. Exodus chapter 11 and uh, verse 4. This concerns the Passover lamb and listen to what Jesus said or the Lord said here. And this is the first mention of midnight specifically in first mention of a great cry. I want you to know what it's about here. So verse 4, Exodus 11, And Moses said, Thus saith the Lord, About midnight will I go out into the midst of Egypt, and all the firstborn of the land of Egypt shall die, from the firstborn of Pharaoh that sits upon the throne, even unto the firstborn of the maidservant that is behind the mill, and all the firstborn of beasts. And there shall be a great cry throughout all the land of Egypt, such as there was none like it, nor shall there be any more like it so think of it the midnight hour which is a theme that runs through the Bible so back here at the midnight hour the angel passes through the land and there was a great cry and the great cry here was because every house that didn't have the blood on the door and the door was shut Uh, and there's a, a blood sprinkled door here a midnight great cry. And now, this side of the cross, midnight cry, and it's over oil. And the door was shut. So this, this theme of midnight just, just goes through the Bible, the midnight. And uh, it's significant that uh, the scientists have moved the clock in the last several years, uh, a great world clock they have, onto the midnight hour and say, the world is now in the midnight hour. The, the, the unbelievers are doing that and if they recognise that the world is at the midnight hour what about us as believers how many believe there's a midnight hour on us a midnight hour is the darkest night darkest hour before the beginning of the, the dawn there midnight and the great cry and I believe saints that there's a great cry going throughout the world today come on church wake up time to wake up time to trim your lamps, it's lamp trimming time how many believe that, get rid of the ashes start trimming your lamps so a great cry and a great uh, trimming of the lamps today and I believe the reason, one of the reasons that millions of believers have been receiving the baptism of the Holy Spirit and what we call the charismatic world, Pentecostal world is because they've been hearing the midnight cry get some oil in your lamp Jesus is coming I believe that's all part of this parable in the end of the age, alright so all the virgins arose, trimmed their lamps and then the foolish Came to the wise. Let me sort of put it in a question form. There are many, many churches today that do not accept the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Do you think I make it as a question, not as a statement might be better do you think that uh, when uh, this thing increases here, that many Christians are going to come to spirit-filled Christians and say, "Hey, give us of your oil." lay hands on me for the baptism, I believe now I'll speak in tongues, I'll turn cartwheels I'll do anything, uh, I didn't believe it now but Jesus is coming and look what's happening in the world with these other parables uh, give us of your oil lay hands on me, pray for me, give me the baptism to do anything how I many you know you've just got enough oil to carry you through, I've just got enough oil to carry me through okay? And it says, go to those that buy. You go and pay your own price. And one of the tragedies about this is there's no record that they got the oil. Okay. Alright, what was the major difference? If you read the scripture properly, you'll find both of them had lamps, but do you know what the wise had? That was the, and this was the basic difference. The wise took a oil in their vessels with their lamps the wise had an extra vessel that was the difference there is treasure to be desired and oil in the dwelling of the wise but the foolish spent it up the foolish spent theirs up they didn't have that extra vessel of oil now I don't think we need to uh, you know be uh, disagreeing over the oil how many know that oil in the scripture is always symbolic of the Holy Spirit and so the tremendous need of being filled and remaining filled with the Holy Spirit. Let me finish on this, our time is up for this tonight, that's for sure. Just sort of use that picture, that morning and evening, the high priest had to trim the lamps and take away the ashes and supply oil, supply oil. And I believe that's just a beautiful picture of what we have here, that the Lord's word to us, okay, trim your lamps, keep filled with the Holy Spirit, keep filled with the divine oil so that uh, we'll be ready for when Jesus comes and go into the marriage. That's all we have time for tonight, saints. I hope you've enjoyed the little bit we've been able to do it. Everybody said amen. Amen. Let's all stand and close with a word of prayer. Father, we just uh, pray that you'll help us so much in your word, Lord Jesus. You packed up uh, so many things, so much truth in just a few words that take us an hour to even try and explain but Lord help us to get the main point that we need to be ready for when Jesus comes and Lord we pray that we'll not be amongst the foolish virgin class and be shut out but we'll be wise so Lord we'll have that extra vessel help us to trim our lamps Lord and keep our lamps filled with the, 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 the divine oil the oil of the Holy Spirit We pray that you'll just take this word tonight and apply it to each of our hearts according to our need, And may it fall upon good ground of our heart and bring forth fruit unto eternal life. We ask it in the precious name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. God bless you. See you on the weekend. Be sure to visit kevinconnor.org for more information about Kevin, his books and his ministry.